Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Collective Engagement for Social Purpose podcast, which is a collaboration between GovComs and the University of Adelaide's Dr. Taylor Wilmot and Professor Jody Conduit. Today's episode is the fifth of a six-part series where we share the wisdom and insights from a multi-year, multi-phase Australian Research Council-funded discovery project. Now, if you are yet to listen to the previous episodes from this series, we recommend that you go back to the beginning. Episodes three and four are fantastic conversations with the Obesity Collective's Tiffany Petra and Orange Sky's Lucas Patchett. Both Tiffany and Lucas know firsthand what it takes to bring together a diverse group of people to tackle social causes and to create sustainable change. So we recommend giving those episodes a listen for some inspiration and also the first episodes one through four are also available to be downloaded from your favorite podcast streaming platform. So today we're joined by Ingo Carpen. Ingo is a professor of business and design at the University of Adelaide and Karlstad University in Sweden. And Karlstad is between, smack bang between, Stockholm and Oslo. Ingo has a passion for making lives and systems better, and he seeks to engage with researchers and entrepreneurs to create positive social change in different contexts. Ingo is a chief investigator on the Collective Engagement for Social Purpose Project, and together with Dr. Taylor Wilmot, will share with us today some insights from the team's interviews with 35 community engagement managers from the various social purpose organisations that the team has spoken to. The theme for today's discussion is human connection and relationships. And specifically, Ingo and Taylor will talk about the role of compassion in collectively engaging a group of people to achieve a shared social purpose. So to begin, let me welcome Ingo Carpen, all the way from Karlstad in Sweden. Uh, Ingo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, David. Pleasure to be here. And Taylor, uh, welcome back uh, to you to the podcast once again. Thanks for having me back, Dave. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Okay, so listen, given that you are the constant so far and we've been following this this process before we we get to ingo and sort of to delve into some of the discovery what's happened um since we last spoke what where is the project up to and, and how is it progressing yeah so we're towards the end of our analysis of the 35 interviews that we've conducted with community engagement and social enterprise managers across um australia so we're working now to kind of bring everything together in a way in which we can look at sharing with the wider community. And today's episode, we hope to be able to share one of the main um, insights that have that have come out of our analysis. Um, and so Ingo and I have been working in parallel to analyze the 
interview data that we have. Um, and as you mentioned, the role of human connections and relationships has, has played quite a large role in our discussions around collective engagement and how we can foster uh, collective engagement and what mechanisms bring engagement at the individual level and transition that to the collective engagement that we really do need in order to affect change. Okay, well, listen, before we jump into the detail, um, we know all about you, uh, Taylor, because we've spoken to you many times, but Ingo, we don't know you. So how about you just give us the, the Ingo Carpen story, the potted history, and how is it that you've found yourself um, in this very interesting line of work? Sounds good. Thanks, David. So I'm at the University of Adelaide, but at the same time, I'm also at uh, Karlsruhe University in Sweden. And um, I've been always interested in trying to make a difference and really been focused on understanding phenomena that matter to human beings, uh, that really make a difference uh, to human beings. And so it's no surprise that in my line of work, uh, we also have been now working towards understanding how collectively we can make a difference uh, in society. And I try to combine both, you know, my academic head with my practitioner head and bring uh, interdisciplinary areas together, for example, across uh, a discipline that might be called human-centered design, but also combine this with business insights. Because at the end of the day, many of these uh, social entrepreneurs or social enterprises you know, they need to survive too while making a difference. And this often requires an interdisciplinary approach, which I'm seeking, you know, to, to engage in with the work that I do. So listen, in a social purpose context, can you briefly explain the importance of human connection and relationships in collective engagement? Absolutely. Um, you know, many of the things that matter most in life actually sit between people, not just within people. Consider, for example, trust or love, but also phenomena such as humor or tragedy. Many of these things matter most when they are shared. And so the relationships become really a vehicle where this sharing takes place, where, you know, compassion can emerge. And so the you know, relationships and, and the connections between people is really an important phenomenon uh, for both our study, but also in practice, you know, for the people that want to make a difference uh, on a daily basis when helping people on diverse courses, whether that is, you know, related to phenomena such as homelessness or obesity, or it's really about connecting with the people that experience some form of you know, tragedy, pain, suffering, and, and building there these connections that can make a difference in their lives. Now, we all collectively shared sort of the COVID-19 pandemic, and it really was a, a good example of a, a shared human experience and really the importance of compassion uh, to to deliver, I suppose, uh, collective well-being. What, what did you observe through that that period that that struck you about the importance of this need to be aware of others and to be thoughtful and compassionate about others. COVID has been an extreme situation, you know, for for humanity, for people around the globe. We had to isolate. We were, you know, forced to engage in entirely new practices that are actually not um, core to the nature of who we are and what we are in in life. 
and especially this phenomena of you know isolating for example and not having the chance to access family members people that we usually hang out with not being able to access the energies of these people has been a, a really difficult uh, phenomenon and it's been astonishing to see how you know communities have tried to make a difference by finding ways in these you know difficult times to both on one hand understand the type of difficult experiences that we go through as a collective but also you know individuals whether that is individual family members or you know friends in our circles and on the other hand find ways to alleviate you know some of those stresses um, that we together and individually have experienced during COVID. So compassion has been in you know in that environment uh, a really beautiful a beautiful element um, that has made a difference by seeking to understand appreciate and recognize the type of challenges you know that we as human beings experience in these difficult times and finding ways to alleviate uh, those painful and stressful moments so ingo to you and it, this might seem like a an, an unusual question but i think in some ways it's a an unusual, not very used word, compassion. What is compassion? Um, that is very true. And I wish, you know, we would speak more often uh, about compassion, both in society, but also in academia. And, you know, there are disciplines where compassion plays a really critical role and has been, you know, for a long time, for example, in a nursing uh, context. But when it comes to social change uh, and, you know, whether it's the dis business discipline, um, there is far less talk of compassion. You know, often we look at charts, figures, we're interested in performance indicators. You know, we try to uh, assess the way we have performed in various ways. Um, but often, you know, we don't put enough primacy on the, on the human beings uh, involved. And so we see compassion in this case uh, as a combination on one hand of creating awareness for the suffering or pain of people, but also at the same time having a desire to make a difference and alleviate or eliminate some of that pain uh, or suffering. So it's it's a really fundamental um, you know phenomenon uh, in society that can make a difference on a on a daily basis. So Taylor, to you, how does compassion differ from, let's say, uh, empathy or say sympathy? How is it different? Yeah, so I think Ingo hit the nail on the head when he spoke about the action component of compassion and that motivation or desire to alleviate a pain or a suffering that you've become aware of uh, in others. So it's moving beyond self um, for the benefit of others. I think when if you look at sympathy, for example, it's a reaction to the plight of others so it might be feeling sorry for another person's hurt or pain um, but there's some emotional distancing when you experience sympathy for others so you're not actually experiencing their pain but you were saying that you understand uh, their hurt empathy uh, is one step I guess above empathy but it's still not at the level that compassion is and it doesn't have that action component so with empathy you have the ability to experience um, someone else's pain and have their feeling of hurt or, or suffering um, but it doesn't it doesn't it's not coupled with the desire or the motivation to help or alleviate um, the, that feeling that you 
are able to experience. That's very clear now that we understand that in compassion, there are those two things. There is not only the awareness, but there is that action, um, that desire uh, to do something. So Ingo, understanding compassion, what role does it play in collectively engaging and motivating people for a shared social purpose? Yeah, that's a great question, David. And actually, I would like to have a quick go on uh, helping us uh, have a shared understanding of actually collective engagement as well, because I think that's that's really important too. And I try to you know put that in really simple terms rather than using you know too much of an academic language. You know, for me, collective engagement or you know engaging the collective, the community, is really about getting people on board. It's about you know people having skin in the game, and in this case compassion can really make a difference on on helping you know getting people on board because on one hand if we find ways to um, help people in the community recognize you know the suffering um, of of our community members by making it really tangible for example providing uh, stories or or real uh, insights uh, that help people to see and potentially even feel, you know, the journey that some of our community members have been on. So by creating, you know, this this awareness um, for the for the pain or for the potentially even tragic life experiences, this awareness can then help in translating into, you know, building emotional connections, uh, you know, to individuals, but also to a collective cause that helps to alleviate, you know, the the pain that is being experienced. So. Um, compassion really is a very powerful element in helping us as a community to engage around a, a purpose that really wants to make a difference to the lives of people. How do we, Ingo, engage people in such a way that they will take action in at a time when people are busy, people have got their own lives, they've got their own challenges? How do we make people aware and encourage them to take action. What are the ways that you can can do that and do that effectively and overcome the inertia or indeed in some cases perhaps the resistance to want to try to make a difference? Yeah, Um, so we saw a lot of different um, actions and activities that the organizations engage in. And, uh, you know, many of the organizations or entrepreneurs uh, do these things quite intuitively. And uh, I just want to give a few examples of the many beautiful, uh, you know, stories that we've heard on, and actions that were taken. And I think one of the the things that really make a difference in terms of getting people on board has to do again with tangibility, making the, uh, you know, the suffering tangible, and whether this happens through enabling, you know, members of the communities to tell their story. For example, is a is a really important element in this case, finding ways to make the voices that are not typically heard, enabling them to tell their story is, is, is one way um, that is really critical. Um, on the other hand, you know, this idea of making things tangible also has to do uh, with outcomes. Consider, for example, if you are donating blood and uh, once your blood has been used you know, to support a patient in a hospital and you receive an SMS, for example, that your blood has been, has been used and has made a difference to people's lives, that can actually be really touching. And so it, it really becomes a, a, you know, a reinforcing circle when on one hand we can see suffering of others, but we also 
tangibly uh, can feel or are aware of how our own action has made a difference to the lives uh, of others. So tangibility is one element. Um, another area that we saw frequently employed by these organizations had to do with the idea of empowering people. And on one hand, you know, this empowerment of people uh, could manifest, for example, in ensuring that people on the front line, people who go out and, you know, speak with community members who are present, uh, who do the conversations, you know, with homeless people, etc., that these people have the resources at hand so that they can react rather quickly or immediately and and can respond in a way, you know, that makes a that makes a difference. But empowerment is not just related to volunteers or other staff members who are actually on the front line but um, empowerment can also go as far as inviting people in the community itself you know to contribute uh, to the social cause and you know sometimes organizations might invite here community members uh, to submit photos regarding a specific cause that can stimulate you know further discussion debate uh, about a specific um, phenomenon for example or we might invite you know community members to actually join uh, forums where we discuss and bring to life uh, different issues in the community that are directly related to the course and seek ways in co-design um, workshops for example uh, to work towards uh, addressing these issues together so ingo in terms of the the feedback that you did have from the 35 community engagement managers how would you sum up the, the mood uh, of those managers? Were they feeling optimistic? Were they feeling like they were making progress? Or were they, you know, at the other end of the scale, feeling a bit sort of downtrodden and, and not able or not, not feeling motivated that they, that they are making a difference, even though they're applying their best effort every day? I have been absolutely amazed on one hand by the beautiful work that they have been doing and also by the positivity that we have encountered, you know, in these conversations, because, you know, lots of these organizations deal with really difficult, um, really difficult human experiences. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of suffering and a lot of also mental support required by their um, team members or staff members. And so it's been absolutely incredible to hear both the stamina that these people have and the positivity that they still bring to the table. Of course, many of these organizations also face, you know, um, important challenges such as finite resources. There are lots of organizations that try to get access, you know, to, to relevant funding at the same time. And so, you know, some of these organizations might even compete in some sense for, for resources, but we've seen some of the most beautiful results actually when when you know ceos or you know directors or leaders uh, in these organizations actually have put their ego aside i have to say that um, really a critical element was when when people actually put not themselves first from these organizations but you know put the people first who they actually serve and find ways for example just simply picking up the phone and trying to organize uh, you know a joint event or a joint activity with another organization that is directly related where you might think, well, technically they might be competing, but the best results come out when these organizations actually start to collaborate. And we see this also, um, that this positivity is justified in many ways because of the, the touching stories, the touching results that they achieve. And this does not only manifest in 
you know, the daily human conversations that are happening on the front line, but we can also see it in the in the big data. When we look at, you know, the amount of hours spent in, in conversations, you know, with homeless people or in, in you know, washings that have been offered, you know, washing clothing uh, that has been offered to community members. And, and, you know, there's a lot of big data on this that really helps us to see that these organizations make a huge difference. And so this, you know, positivity and this willing to continue uh, on a daily basis, making these efforts and making a difference to the life of people. It is really wonderful. And I actually would like to use this opportunity to extend my thank you to many of, you know, these organizations that really work so hard to the many volunteers that try to make, you know, the lives of the many people um, that they are serving um, at least a little bit better to the degree that it is possible under those circumstances. Mm. So, Taylor, you clearly have had um, the same opportunity as Ingo to go through all of the data, go through all of the uh, interviews that have taken place to, to sit uh, with that information, to reflect on the data. What did you take away from your analysis of, of the data? Yeah, Ingo and I shared very similar uh, findings. We obviously analysed separately, but um, we came, you know, to very similar conclusions. And I think to add to some of the themes that Ingo spoke about, I wanted to touch a little bit on um, almost the pride and the a shared sense of we are all in this together and there's a sense of belonging among not only the leaders of these organizations but their employees and also the beneficiaries um, we had interviewees talk about how they almost uh, you know had formed part of their identity as being involved in these organizations and the causes that they were trying to address so for example um in, in the homeless space, some of the volunteers um, that work with their, you know, I guess on the front line, on the coal face of these issues, identify with the group that they volunteer with and to the regulars that come in are, are the beneficiaries of, of the services that they are offering to their local communities. And so I think related to that was this idea of these organisations creating a shared space for people to come together and for that to be a foundation for sharing stories and lived experiences to build compassion that ultimately leads to the manifestation of collective engagement um, over a period of time. And so some of the activities for creating that shared space was in a very physical sense of a meeting place, um, but a shared space can also be virtually and online as well. Um, so that were some of the key themes that, that I noticed when I was analysing the data as well. And I think very, you know, um, a lot of synergy, I think, between the themes that Ingo and I both identify. So, listen, a question to, to both of you, and Taylor, to you first. Uh, clearly, there's a role, and, and Ingo alluded to it earlier in terms of the work that he does, you know, with entrepreneurs, um, with business, and clearly government um, plays a role and certainly in the provision of, of service policy resources. But in terms of strengthening this sense of positivity, this sense of mission, this sense of purpose, 
did you take anything from the data that gave you uh, some some greater insights as to how communities around the world, because it's a common issue, uh, or the common issues that are being dealt with, are there things that people can do going to that point around compassion that they may not be doing today that would lead to better results for people who are less fortunate? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a range of activities that leaders can engage with. I think in terms of creating compassionate communities, there's there's two sides. There's the bottom-up side to creating a compassionate community where it's really community members that are driving um the the collective and the change and then the other side is is the top-down model where policy changes in government or health systems are what spur the change and potentially what enable uh, community members to feel empowered so giving you know whether it's access to resources or providing you know structural legislative changes that that, that allow that change to occur So in terms of specific activities, I think Ingo touched on a few of the ones that came through our interviews, but, you know, creating that that shared safe space is is first and foremost, you know, what's needed. And then from there, whether you're engaging in a co-design or a community consultation process, I think, you know, you need to have the psychological safety there so that people do feel comfortable to share their own lived experience and how the social cause has touched themselves personally or touched people in in their network. And I'll share a quote um, that I highlighted from one of our participants about the importance of connecting as humans first in these activities. So if you set up a co-design session, you can't just, you know, dive straight into how can we best, you know, help uh, people that that are suffering or in pain as a result um, of a particular complex problem or, or social issue. And this particular interviewee summed up the need to start with the fact that we're all humans and we all do have shared experiences. And so they shared, it's the human relationship amongst the group at the table working together that matters first and foremost, but it's also the human relationship to whatever issue you're talking about or the social cause. So the empathy and compassion to those who are on the receiving end of whatever the social cause is and the negative impact, the pain and suffering that surrounds that. And then in terms of the collective processes, if if we do want to achieve collective engagement, but we're not in relationship with each other first and building those connections, then you're going to find that it's very challenging to move from, you know, a group of individuals who are passionate about a cause to a group who who is, you know, working in synergy together. Um, so really, compassion is the grease on the wheels for all other things, and, and that's the starting point. And so, Ingo, I'd, I'd put the same same question to you that I just put to Taylor and and your your reflections on some of the intervention and change that can take place to to strengthen this sense of compassion. In addition to the examples that Taylor already has mentioned, I also would like to emphasize that, you know, we as individuals can do many things and can contribute in various ways, you know, through our own compassionate um, stance and our own compassionate behaviors on a daily basis. Now, you know, often people just think about things such as volunteering or donating, 
But there are even simpler things we can do on a daily basis and it often starts actually with something like not blaming people for the situation that they're in, not judging people, because often people find themselves in these very difficult or tricky situations through complex um, developments. You know, many of these people have been on difficult journeys. So, you know, often, unfortunately, we as humans, uh, you know, can fall into a tendency of making quick judgments or blaming people for, you know, where they are. And so, you know, on one hand, creating a an awareness within oneself, um, you know, when this type of, you know, judgment or blaming, blaming might actually emerge. Um, and also maybe even help others understand when blaming or judgmental behavior, you know, is being displayed. So basically helping, you know, and creating awareness in the community, um, you know, for uh, behaviors that are actually or make life more difficult for these people. At the same time, we're also more empowered nowadays when you think about, for example, social media. Uh, it is it is relatively straightforward and easy nowadays if we want to reach our direct you know networks and and community members by leveraging you know our own social media in order to help create awareness you know for a specific cause that we want to support in the community so i think it's really important to highlight that you know trying to engage and support a specific cause doesn't just come down to volunteering or donating it's actually as much uh, as about it is uh, creating awareness in the first place in the community um, by pointing out you know specific behaviors or situations and potentially even using you know your social media um, to have a voice and and to leverage you know what you see to help others understand and recognize the experiences and situations um, that they find themselves in. Do you have any tips to as to how do you stop being judgmental? Or how do you get out of that mindset where you might observe somebody and think, well, their problem's their fault or they must have done something? How, is there any insight there as to how you can be less blaming, less judgmental and more compassionate? I'm not an expert on this, but, you know, my, my own experience and, and listening to, you know, the stories of the people that we have uh, spoken to, there is often a high degree of, of reflection. So I think, you know, uh, in order to basically not stop, but at least uh, create an awareness for these uh, somewhat automated processes, you know, that we have installed in ourselves that lead to quick judgments or quick blaming to actually hold back for a second and, and reflect on and think, well, maybe, you know, this is more complex than what it seems to be. You know, maybe these people are not in this situation because of alcohol or because, you know, they have got themselves into some form of addiction that could have been easily avoided in the first place. But maybe, you know, the circumstances have been extremely difficult and even I or my friends or whoever would you know find ourselves in the same situation if we had been on this very journey you know that is right in front of us so I think reflection is is, is really important and um, acknowledging that to oneself too and and this again has also do a lot uh, with with the human ego and and uh, trying to put your own ego aside and actually um, you know putting other people or giving other people the space uh, that they deserve. Mm. And Tyler, any tips from you, having sort of read through the data? What what sort of advice might you have for people? I think it starts with empathy, and we kind of gave a, a, 
a definition for sympathy, empathy, and compassion and comparing the differences, but one of the commonly applied techniques in human-centered design is empathy building, and that requires stepping into the shoes of others. And in order to do that, yes, you can observe someone's circumstances and pain and, and, and make judgments or, or have, you know, unconscious bias about how they've ended up where they have but it's that connection element um, that I think, you know, aids that process of building empathy for others. So actually getting out in the community and talking to the people you're looking to serve. And we had a CEO who, you know, he had his own lived experience of, of being homeless when he was younger and being in and out of the justice system. And he's now the CEO of an organization that actively works to empower young people and to support them out of um, those circumstances. And he said, in his experience, it's very easily for him and the people that work with him to shift into that professional lens um, and be very solution focused and almost leave behind that that human element even though he had his you know he has his own lived experience and so one of his practices is actually just getting out on the streets and having conversations with people and hearing their backstories about uh, you know how they came to be where they are and I think it's eye-opening for anyone that goes out with the intention of listening to people's stories and, and you know putting your sh yourself into the shoes of, of those people um, and he said you know you forget that even for them to get out of bed meant that they had to roll over on the concrete the cold concrete wrap up their sleeping bag find somewhere to you know brush their teeth, uh, all those little things might have been avoiding the police, you know, on the train um, because they did, couldn't afford the train ticket um, and not, you know, not being able to have a shower for a few days and they may not have eaten. But then, you know, they've had to go through all of this that many of us wouldn't even fathom in order to show up for an appointment to receive help, um, you know, whether it's healthcare, uh, mental health counselling support, or whether it, you know, it's helping them put a job application together, whatever it might be. So I think in order for us to really overcome, you know, almost that cognitive dissonance between not being able to relate to, you know, other people's experiences that we can clearly see has caused hurt and suffering. We need to be able to, um, you know, get out there and listen and talk to community and call you know, it out in ourselves and others when we start to see other, you know, you know, making assumptions within ourselves. But if you see other people uh, judging the circumstance of others, I think it's, it's up to us to stand up and, and call that out. And a lot of the leaders that we spoke to, I think, are very adept in being able to navigate complex interpersonal relationships within organisations that are dealing with, you know, quite complex, highly emotive and, and sensitive problems. And if I may build on that, uh, Taylor, that was really, really important. And I, and I think, you know, you highlighted also something um, that I feel has to do with remaining curious. You know, often, yeah. often we might already have, you know, um, predefined ideas about why people find themselves in a specific situation. So I think it's really important to remain open and actually start asking the questions, why, 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 you know, why is this the case and, and, and what happened here and why and why did it happen rather than, you know, entering this space with a with a fixed mindset 
and, and, and already a predefined understanding about, you know, why this situation is the way it is. So remaining curious, remaining open, I think, is, is another really important uh, individual level element uh, in this case, so that we can recognize, uh, you know, the suffering of other people and remain open to that, why that is the case in the first place. So uh, just in in conclusion and wrapping up today's conversation, clearly you have a lot of data to continue to work through, to continue to analyze, uh, to continue to assess. So Ingo, for you, um, where to from here in terms of what you are going to be doing next in terms of the contribution that you're making to um, the Collective Engagement for Social Purpose project? So on one hand, we will continue, you know, analyzing and, and, and coding the data. But I think uh, it's really important to help the community understand the power of this, you know, phenomenon of collective engagement. Because for us, it's it's really beautiful to see the, for the lack of a better word, social energy, you know, that is set free in the community when we see that actually our daily behaviors or our contributions to this social cause, the difference that that can make. So I, I'm really keen on, you know, taking this work further in the sense that we want to help uh, organizations in the community to understand how they can set free, you know, more of this social energy to make a difference uh, in, in, in people's lives, how they can help people belong uh, to certain communities, even if they're typically considered from our perspective, from our privileged perspective as being outsiders and, and help organizations to, um, you know, fight various stigmas that we might see, you know, in the community. So hopefully, you know, with the next activities uh, that, that are forthcoming, spreading the word about, you know, our findings and, you know, thanks to you, David, and, you know, you making a difference in helping us, you know, communicating, you know, these findings. Um, we want to create even more awareness for the importance of both, you know, compassion and, you know, with that actually creating more social energy, freeing up social energy to further, um, you know, for people to contribute in the future. And a final question to you, Taylor, is it possible that there may be a, a roadmap that can come out of this research that achieves exactly what Wing, uh, Ingo is talking about there in terms of, you know, a pathway to be able to, you know, capture and, and release this social energy in order to achieve um, greater compassion, you know, greater awareness uh, and, 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 and a strengthening of, of the communities that, in which we all live. Yeah, I think I'm very optimistic that we'll be able to get to a point of being able to share a framework or a roadmap, but I think the next stage will be more of a collaborative effort with leaders uh, working in this space. So whether we go back to our interviewees now that we've started to unpack the key mechanisms and enabling conditions for collective engagement to really, you know, pose the question to them, how best can we help you, uh, you know, leverage uh, compassion for collective engagement to help you, you know, achieve more impact in the work that you're doing. So I do think it'll be situating our current findings, um, you know, within research budget practice to see how best that, that roadmap can be delivered to those who, you know, it'll benefit the most. Well, listeners, stay tuned. There is more to come. There is more to come. We might have to go more than six parts, I think. There could be a little bit more. We might have to go to a maybe seven or eight part 
as we go through the next stages of the collective engagement for social purpose research program. So a very big thanks to Dr. Taylor Wilmot and also to Professor Ingo Carpen. A big thanks to you both for joining us today on this episode and we certainly look forward to further discussions in the future. So a big thanks to both of you today. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. And a big thanks to you, audience, for coming back once again. And again, if you are interested and if you didn't listen to me at the beginning of the program and go back to listen to those earlier episodes, can I encourage you to do so? Because really, if this is an area of interest, the the conversations that we have had um, over the last few months have been absolutely fascinating and really helping us to understand just exactly what are uh, the insights that we're gathering in this fantastic research program that is being conducted by both uh, Dr. Taylor Willamot and also Professor Ingo Carpen and uh, Professor Jody Conjute as well at the University of Adelaide. So please go back and listen to those and make sure you subscribe uh, because next time we'll be back in your ears with more insights from this important research program. But we are, on behalf of the team, very grateful for you listening to us today and we will be back soon with the next episode of the Collective Engagement for Social Purpose podcast. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.